Welcome to the Patricia Raskin Show, the program that helps you turn obstacles into opportunities, challenges into solutions, and find answers to tough questions. And now, the award-winning powerhouse voice of radio. Here's your host, Patricia Raskin. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome. Welcome to the second half of the Patricia Raskin Show. And now we're going to talk about one of my favorite subjects, which is goodness. My guest is Edward Viljan. And, and Edward, did I say your name correctly? Answering to anything, Patricia, it's just a pleasure for me to be called anything. Thank you for having me here today. What is your, how do you say your last name? It's pronounced Viljan. And in, in my country of origin, yes, it's in South Africa. That's a very, very common name. So when I got to America, I became exotic overnight, which is quite funny. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So the book is by Edward Fillion, and the name of it is Ordinary Goodness, The Surprisingly Effortless Path to Creating a Life of Meaning and Beauty. Edward Fillion is the author of The Power of Meditation and co-author of Seeing Good at Work and Spirit is Calling and practice the presence. He's a senior minister at the Center for Spiritual Living in Santa Rosa, California. Well, this is a very special book. It really is. And I want you to know that I know Alan Seal, who wrote a testimonial for your book. I've interviewed him on my program several yeah. times. And, yeah, um, yeah it's, it's very special. And he writes, while goodness, kindness, compassion, and faith may seem like ordinary concepts, when it comes to actually living them in the face of daily challenges, it's easy to get stuck. Edward Villion has given us a gentle, illuminating, compassionate guidebook to living from the goodness that lies at the heart of who we really are. So I, I love it. So thank you. Thank you for writing this book. Thank so, you. All right. So let's, uh, let's take a look at um, what inspired you to write the book. It's almost as if this book was written for these times and I didn't know it. And yes. it's, as a reminder for ordinary people that despite all of the change and the turmoil that's going on and, and all the things that are vying for our attention, that we have something in us that is uh, rather natural, rather ordinary, our inclination to love each other and be kind, and that we can turn to it and we can have confidence that when we do turn to it, it will help us to manage this world with all its change and turmoil. Mm, yeah, so very true. You talk in your book about how caring about ordinary things creates extraordinary life experiences. Explain that, please, and give us an example. I think in our world, there's such an emphasis on the quick, the fast, and the spectacular mm-hmm. and the extraordinary that mm-hmm. we slowly become conditioned to think that if it, if it isn't awesome and the best and the biggest, that it won't be valuable or worthwhile. And so the idea is that awe and wonder can be found in just the most ordinary things in life, but it does take an act of will to retrain ourselves to notice something as simple and as beautiful as washing the dishes or making a cup of yeah. tea or talking yeah. to a neighbor. Yeah. And I then when we do so train true. ourselves to do that, you know, we start to tease out the extraordinarily beautiful things that were always there, just waiting for our attention. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. It brings to mind, I went to a big costume party recently here in my area, and I was looking for this. My symbol's a bumblebee, and I had this little bee costume. So I was looking and looking, and I went to the basement. And, you know, when you're in the basement, I mean, it could be anywhere. <laughs> so yeah. I, I went, like, down there two times. I said, forget it. And then I, I really wanted to do this. So I said, you know what? I'm going to go down one more time. 
And I opened up a cabinet that I didn't open up before. And there it was. I mean, it wasn't even crumpled, rumpled. It was right there in the cabinet. So right I worked in front of you. And, yeah, and what it, what it did for me, I mean, that little thing, when I thought about it, A, it brought me to a party with people with all kinds of amazing costumes that I love looking at. But B, it made me kind of look at all the stuff in the basement that I need to go through, a lot of its yeah. history, a lot of its family stuff, and realize the richness of it and what I might let go of that would release some things that... I really wouldn't have, if I hadn't gone down there in that way to search for something, none of that would have happened. Plus going to the yeah. party and seeing these. So, so I really looked at that. I looked at that. I mean, yeah. that, was a, that was a moment for me. And I think those are the kinds of moments you're talking about. Exactly. And you, you said it so beautifully. The conscious decision to look. And yes. then when you go down with that. And, and you know, one might call that mindfulness. So when we introduce mindfulness into whatever it is we have to do, it's like it opens the aperture of what we can take in and it slows us down a little bit. So in that moment of slowness or pause, we, we begin to see what's always been there, what continues to be there simultaneously while things are busy and difficult and harsh. And then it's not that we're becoming, we're not, we don't deny the world and its complexity, but we live a more reasonable way. We take in more of what is nurturing and helpful, and then we bring balance into the equation. And I think that's missing today. Yeah, I, I do. I, I agree with you, particularly today when we're bombarded with so many negative things. But I think the real challenge here, Edward, and I'd like to ask you about this, is what happens when there's a tragedy? You know, when I mean, when you've really been hit with something and a big loss, and it could be any kind of a loss. It could be, again, physical, emotional. It could be a job. It could be someone close to you. It could be your health. It could be, you know, whatever it is for you. How do you keep that spirit, you know, that positive yeah. spirit up? That's really, that's hard. Yeah, it's very difficult. And honestly, I think it's it's like a muscle that needs to be exercised and kept healthy so that when tragedy does strike, we don't find ourselves completely out of our ability to respond to it. And I'm, I'm remembering the story of the Amish school when um, that shooter went in one morning and um, and, and mm. killed several school children. Yeah. And yeah. And I remember reading a, a letter from a, a reader in the Quran, and, and the man said, before the children uh, were even buried, the Amish community were already meeting together in small groups to pray for the forgiveness of the shooter. And he said something I'll never forget. He said that the Amish community didn't come to this extraordinary ability to forgive their child's murderers in that one afternoon alone. They mm-hmm. had been preparing because it was, a, it was a hallmark of their faith tradition that, that forgiveness was their go-to place. So it's as, almost as if they had been in good shape to respond to the world's tragedies. Ever since that, I've been thinking to myself, what are, what are the hallmarks of my practice? Do I take time to notice what is good? Do I take time to uh, practice being forgiving, keep myself in shape to listen well, to extend kindness to people, so that when tragedy hits, I, I've got my go-to place is easy, easy to remember. Because tragedy is disorienting, and so if I don't have mm-hmm. a foundation, it's even more disorienting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and but I think if the, during those times you're going to, going to need help, don't you think? You need support. Absolutely, we need each other more, more so than ever. And I think in today's world where we communicate 
digitally and behind screens and across long distances, um, even more so, it becomes Mm. important for us to balance on-screen time with in-person time because we're communal and and we can help each other, but it's more difficult if we don't reach out. So talk a little bit about how you can acquire that faith when you you know, may not be able to access it on your own. Do you suggest meditation? Do you suggest groups, uh, whether in person or in Skype? I mean, what would be your suggestion for people to create that, you know, really instill that faith within them? Yes, you know, one of the the simple ways is to take a little inventory of the people in your life who inspire courage in you and to make sure Mm. that they have a real place in your life. So there's no better way to uh, improve your faith or your courage than by osmosis. If you hang out with people who inspire you, slowly you take on what they have that is important to you. And um, again, in time, face-to-face time spent with people who lift you up, there is nothing to beat that. But all the other things you mentioned add to it as well. The, all the practices that increase our mindfulness slow us down to notice, uh, create the space for us to listen to our own wisdom and to the people around us. All of these practices are really, really helpful. And I think wherever you are, um, meditation or mindfulness groups are popping up. They're available there are even online groups now that people can access. So I would agree with you that meditation and slowing down practices are part of the equation. Are there any particular meditations that you suggest? Um, well, you know, you mentioned I wrote the book, The Power of Meditation, and there's quite a funny story behind that. When I was invited to write the book, I wondered why I was asked, because I was the sort of person who struggled with meditation. I never mm. felt like I was getting it right. I thought I was doing something wrong, because I didn't have the, the experiences of still mind. And I remember the publisher said, it's because of your struggle that we want you to write the book. So I wrote the book for people who didn't know how to meditate, who struggled with it. And I, I shared my, uh, my struggle and how, in the end, I had to be gentler with myself and drop all my expectations mm-hmm. and begin simply by sitting, either in nature or in a quiet place, without any agenda whatsoever. And that itself took some commitment, just to sit mm-hmm. still. Because my mind is so bombarded, like you said, with negativity and sensationalism and busyness. Yeah, one of the things that has helped me is um, that kind of meditation where I have to totally quiet my mind is really hard for me. But when I do active meditations where I go to another dimension or I see light around me or I'm visualizing, you know, this beautiful garden or I'm doing an OM, you know, an active OM kind of chant, chanting, any of that works for me. But if you said to me, okay, I want you to sit there and not let anything go through your mind, that's just just too hard for me. But the chant. Visualization really works. Yes, uh, you know, repeating a a line from a from a prayer or an affirmation or a single word, even like goodness, um, even using beads to count it and doing that. That gives the mind something to hold on to gently, and it's much easier to be quiet with that when your mind has something Mm -hmm. to uh, hold on to. I I read in the Blue Mountain Meditation. Uh, retreat magazine, they talked about how when elephants walk through India on the way to the temple, 
their trunks are very curious and they tend to grab the fruit from the vendors on the side of the road and that's just like our minds very very inquisitive and so mm-hmm. the, the the person in charge of the elephant gives the the elephant a baton to hold and then the elephant becomes fascinated in the baton and the writer of the article likened that baton to a word or a prayer or an alm, something that you use to gently focus on so that your inquisitive mind doesn't feel lost at sea You're trying to be quiet when it's just against its nature to be quiet. Mm. All right, we're going to take a break and when we come back we're talking to Edward Villune and he's the author of the new book Ordinary Goodness the surprisingly effortless path to creating a life of meaning and beauty. And Villion is an author of The Power of Meditation, co-author of Seeing Good at Work, and co-author of Spirit is Calling and Practice the Presence. He's a senior minister at the Center for Spiritual Living in Santa Rosa, California. We'll be right back with Edward right after the break, right here on The Patricia Raskin Show on voiceamerica.com. America's Voice will be right back. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. Where can you learn about EasyWayPromotions.com's social media marketing, brand positioning, and more? Easy Talk Live. Where can you get tuned into celebrities in the business world? Easy Talk Live. Where can you learn about entrepreneurment? Easy Talk Live. Every week, host Eric EZ Zuli and his celebrity friends talk about global causes, offer tips and tricks that you can use right now on social media, and give you the chance to promote your projects on Easy Talk Live. Every Saturday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Psych Up Live with host Dr. Suzanne Phillips is an insider's glimpse at a life from a psychological perspective. It's a look at what matters to us. Why do we laugh? How do we cope with stress? Are men and women really that different? What is it about our relationships? How are they formed? How they work out? And why they sometimes don't? Every week is something new to engage you. Psych Up Live is heard every Thursday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll turn up your perspective on life. Museums are great places to work and wonderful places to visit. But are they essential? How can we improve our museum practice so that museums remain vital and essential players in society? Listen for Museum Life with host Carol Bossert, where each week we'll discuss timely and topical issues of concern to the museum community. Museum Life can be heard live every Friday morning at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. You are listening to The Patricia Raskin Show. If you wish to call into our program today, please call 1-866-472-5788. That number again is 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to Patricia at PatriciaRaskin.com. Now, back to the Patricia Raskin Show. Hi, everyone, and we are back with Edward Billion, 
His book is Ordinary Goodness, The Surprisingly Effortless Path to Creating a Life of Meaning and Beauty. Edward Villian is the author of The Power of Meditation and the co-author of Seeing Good at Work, The Spirit is Calling, and Practice the Presence. He's the senior minister at the Center for Spiritual Living in Santa Rosa, California, with over a thousand members in his congregation. Uh, welcome back, Edward. Thank you so much. Yeah, wonderful. Um, Talk a little bit about this whole idea of goodness. And one of the things you say in your book is that goodness and faith is a muscle that must be exercised. So let's talk about that and and how you practice it. Maybe a story that you might have. Yeah, and throughout the book, I give examples of exercises that people can do um, that they can try to increase their awareness of something that is truly natural to them. And there's so many places on the web to support us. The idea of paying it forward, I didn't invent that, but I included in my book this sense of expressing your goodness to someone who you may never know or have not have any further interaction with. I, I talk about the story of... Um, watching in restaurants, especially if I see a young family with children and then paying their bill in advance and then leaving the restaurants without getting a sense of how they respond to it. Little things like that. Also, taking time to slow down and notice goodness around you. Donald Altman writes a a beautiful book, The Mindless Code. He talks about before you get up out of your bed, even in the morning, to slow down and start to appreciate everything that your eyes take in, the bed, mm. the, the comforter, the light, whatever it is, and how this paying attention to what you appreciate, it doesn't result in shallowness. What it does is it increases our sense of appreciation. It raises in value what we have around us and increases our sense of goodness. You've mentioned meditation. We've talked about that. Another important and valuable practice is gratitude practice. Um, Mm -hmm. I often do that before I go to bed in the evening. I think about the last person that I had any interaction with, and I just silently, wordlessly express gratitude. Then I think of the previous person, and I silently, wordlessly express gratitude for that person. And what that does is it's like I have this secret love affair with the people in my life when I see them mm. the next day they don't know what I've been doing but I know that I've been, I've been loving on them silently mm. another very important practice that people often overlook is spending time in nature because nature has oh my gosh it has magical power to open up our sense of appreciation of goodness talking to people especially strangers with a heart to really listen to them uh, listening generously to them is a very important practice that increase increase our sense of, of goodness so my book is filled up with these little things that will help us to get a sense of goodness that is simultaneously present in the world despite all the challenges and all the sensationalism it'll give us some balance back yeah that's really beautiful what about faith being a muscle that must be exercised? Is that what you're talking about? Is this, is this part of building your faith muscle by doing these things? Yes. In the beginning, you know, it's an experiential-based faith. I, I've got to practice and prove it to myself that if I do good, something comes alive in me. And so then I get confident that, yes, okay, I know already the past. I know what goes on. And then as that muscle increases, it takes me to a point where I realize, wait a minute, I'm actually getting 
more back than what I'm investing. And then it takes me beyond evidence-based. It takes me to this uh, realm that you might call intuitive knowing. I, I talk about my grandmother in the book, and she used to say, "Don't it'll all work out in the end. And it was so annoying to us that she would say that because we wanted the evidence of how could she possibly know that. Sure. But she, it was based on her long-term observation that in, th- in, in time things do work out, and she would have confidence in that. And all the time she was saying that to me, I, I didn't realize that she was shaping my mind and my inclination to trust that which couldn't be proved thoroughly. Mm, that's fascinating. What about society's messages about perfection that really do distract us from goodness and from ordinary goodness? Absolutely. They, they, they make it impossible for ordinary people because the models that we are given, are they're always better looking at us, more accomplished than us, faster than us, more intelligent. And so we have to really find a place in our lives to go on a media diet so that we're not saturated with images that are so Mm. far beyond our reach that we lose touch with the ordinary beauty of being just who we are. You know, there's some spectacular beauty in ordinary, regular people struggling through life, figuring things out, loving in messy ways, helping each other when they don't know the appropriate word to say. Mm -hmm. And the way that we show up for each other never matches society's excellent image of how we're supposed to be. But if we can disengage from those societal images and turn to what is real, we find there's a gritty, beautiful wonder about just being who we are. Well, and I think what you said, you know, caring about the ordinary things will lead to a a meaningful experience. And it could be something very little. Uh, As you said, it could be a sunset. It could be me finding something in the basement that was as important to me. And and you really... um, if you treasure that, then it does, and then as you said, it leads to gratitude and then it leads to more because that's where yeah. your mind is. Your mind is open to that. Right, that confirmation bias that when we start to look for it, we start yeah. to see more of it. Yeah. yeah. And you know, sometimes we don't know how to express goodness. And because there's such a perfectionism model in our society, we may think we don't know how to rise to it. And so I, I often ask people when we're talking about this, um, I happen to think about a time when they were maybe troubled or having a difficult time, a dark night of the soul. And I asked them if there was a time when somebody made a gesture to them that helped them through that moment. Almost everybody can think about somebody. Then I asked them, was that person particularly skilled? Was it a special talent that they had? And in most cases, they'll say, no, they, it was just some genuine caring. And mm-hmm. sometimes it was awkward. Yeah. And sometimes, it, you know, it was messy. And we focus on that, how our love and our caring doesn't have to be perfect. And you get through it. Real. You get through it. Yeah. What yeah. is your message? We have like two minutes left. So what would you like to leave our listeners with today, Edward, about your book, Ordinary Goodness, The Surprisingly Effortless Path to Creating a Life of Meaning and Beauty? What's your message? I would say Meister Eckhart said, I said, there's a light in the soul that is uncreated and cannot be created. And I call that light ordinary goodness. And I believe with him that when we turn to it, it teaches us how to love each other and this world that we are in. Mm, well, beautiful. And how can someone get your book? Or learn Amazon. about your book? Com. 
Amazon.com, Barnes and Noble, um, Stepping Stones Books and Gift, and they can also find me on their internet if they just search for my, my name, Edward Filyun. It will come up quickly because it's such an unusual name in America. They'll find me. And it's V I L G O E N, so it's pronounced differently from the spelling. V I L G O E N. J O E N. V I L J O E N. Right, and I, you know, it's right here, and I'm saying G. Isn't that funny? <laughs> yes, Edward Vildjoen, V-I-L-J-O-E-N. All right, again, the book is Ordinary Goodness, The Surprisingly Effortless Path to Creating a Life of Meaning and Beauty. Thanks so much for being in the program. Thank you so much. Yeah, stay on the line for a minute. All right, folks, that wraps up this edition of the Patricia Raskin Show. Remember, stay healthy, stay happy, get the support you need, and know you can make your dreams come true. Write to me, Patricia, at PatriciaRaskin.com, and I'll put you on my email list for my newsletter that comes out monthly. And uh, like me on Facebook and follow me. Patricia Raskin, and then my business page is Patricia Raskin, Raskin Resources. I'm also on Twitter and LinkedIn. Until next time, have a great week. Bye for now. Thank you for tuning in to this week's edition of the Patricia Raskin Show. Be sure to join Patricia Raskin and another amazing guest next Monday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have an outstanding week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network its staff and management.